Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans fifteen five and 6. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for another day and another opportunity to speak your truth, to hopefully be led by the Holy Spirit that we might impact our culture with righteousness and with salt and light that we are called to be. Um, Lord, we need your strength, and uh, as times are getting darker, we want to be the light, but we need your wisdom to do that. So, Father, guide us today by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the grace that you've given us and for choosing us to go and bear fruit that will last. Uh, we love you. We lift up this day and uh, this hour even to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are blessed to have Mike Gendron back with us today. And, uh, boy, he's got a couple stories to tell. But he's with Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries, and he's an evangelist, author of many books, including Contending for the Gospel. Mike was a devout Roman Catholic for over 30 years. For those of our newer listeners that haven't heard him before, uh, that all changed in the early 1980s. And uh, we can uh, get into a little bit more of his story. We Today we're going to discuss apostasy in the church, the growing ecumenical movement, compromise, also how Christians can respond more effectively to what's happening, censorship, discrimination, and our increasingly hostile culture. Mike Gendron, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Well, it's good to be back with you, and I just love the ministry that you have given your name, Standing for the Truth. Mm. More than ever, we need to do that because there is great deception I really believe that Satan knows his days are numbered, and he's got an all-out attack on the truth. And Mm. so we need ministries like yours to stand firmly on the truth of God's Word. Amen. And, brother, we we thank you for your ministry as well. You're a very important voice, especially um, not just evangelism, but reaching out to to Roman Catholics and those in that deception. Uh, Before we get into some of the topics today, Mike, you were in Green Bay last month, and and we've got an amazing story that most of our listeners have heard a little bit about with American Airlines. But before we get into that, how did it go and what did you speak on when you were in the Green Bay area? Yes, the conference went very well. I spoke twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. Mm. And the fellowship was heavenly. The, the mm. praise music was heavenly. Um, I really think that the message went forth with... Uh, great power and conviction, and we've had a lot of good feedback. It was just an all-out good conference, and I just love the uh, the sweet fellowship of the church there. They just went all out to make everyone feel comfortable. A lot of visitors came from different states and traveled hundreds of miles, so mm. we really were pleased, and we were really riding a spiritual high until we got to the airport. <laughs> well, I wished I would have been able to be there. I, I was called down to uh, Illinois to preach that Sunday morning, 
And uh, otherwise, I would have been there. I would love to hear you in person. I've got some of your DVDs, and it's a blessing to have you on the podcast here. So, uh, Mike, you didn't get the warmest welcome when you got to the airport on your way trying to get out of Green Bay and get home. Um, tell us a little bit about what happened and, and uh, just where are you at now? I know you, I think you talked to an attorney at one point. It's just a, it's kind of amazing what you went through, and and you've been flying with them for, I don't know, how, how many decades. So please share that story and, and what the status is today. Yeah, I've been flying with American for 52 years, wow. and I've got close to 2 million miles. So mm. it really was shocking to get to the airport and find out that, unbeknownst to me, I was placed on the no-fly list because of a quote-unquote incident that occurred on my flight from Dallas to Chicago en route to Green Bay. And the amazing thing about that flight is normally I have conversations with flight attendants and, you know, will look for opportunities to share the gospel. But on this particular flight, my wife and I got um, caught up in a movie, and so we just were watching a movie, minding our own business, and never had any conversation with any of the flight attendants. Hmm. And so for them to file a report that they had asked me to put on a mask and I did not do that, I refused to do it, and another one had to come by and tell me again. It just uh, was a blatant lie. And initially we thought it must be mistaken identity. Perhaps um, they got the seat wrong or maybe it was a different date that they filed the report because there was no explanation and we actually placed this on our social media and it actually went viral throughout the world over 550 people shared the page and so we started hearing from people that we hadn't heard from four, five, six years and uh, it was really encouraging to us to, to see the support that many people said they would never fly American again unless they resolved it with me because it was just um, really an all-out attack, I think, on uh, what we do, because mm. the most people speculated, since it was a Chicago-based flight crew, that perhaps maybe one or two of the flight attendants recognized me, and mm. they didn't like the fact that we were trying to rescue Roman Catholics out from a religion that deceives them, mm. and so maybe this was retaliation. We really don't know. I mean, that's all speculation, but it's unexplainable why yes. they would do this. And um, in any event, uh, some good has come out of it. We actually had some missionaries in Italy that had never heard of our ministry. Oh, my goodness. But had heard of the American Airline incident, and so they <laughs> went on my website, and they saw all the great resources that we have to reach Catholics, and they asked if they could interpret our gospel tracts into Italian. Oh, my goodness. We said, by all means, please do. And so we thank American Airlines that because of this, <laughs> the gospel is going to go forth throughout Italy now in the language of their own people. God works all things for the good. <laughs> That's amazing. He really does. That's amazing. Yes, Romans 8.28 is yes. what we really trusted as we went through this ordeal. And um, we knew that it was going to be ultimately for our good and for God's glory. And mm. So far, that's what's been playing out. Well, first, Mike, uh, shout out to the Italians. Yay. Um, (laughs) My wife will be thrilled to hear that as well. Um, It's it's not surprising that something like that would happen with an airline or maybe with them making a a mistake or, or even with a stewardess or what do you call them, flight attendant, 
who maybe didn't like what you stood for as a, an evangelical Christian. That's not surprising. And even if she lied or maybe said, you know what, this guy refused a mask uh, order on the plane, it, even if she said that, okay. But what's surprising and I guess disappointing, Mike, is the fact that the airline didn't give you an opportunity to correct the issue. It's like they were either not interested in your side of the story. I think in your recent newsletter, uh, you did call it injustice with American Airlines, but you said no due process and no refund. Uh, you explained that, if I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken, you had to stay overnight in Green Bay and the next day you had to buy a new flight with a different airline. Is that correct? Yeah. To the expense of another six hundred dollars plus wow. the hotel bill. So, wow. yeah, altogether, and they didn't refund the money of the unused flight returning home. So we were out about a thousand dollars, and wow, it really is. To I mean, it's outrageous that a flight attendant would have that much power to ban a frequent flyer yes. on American Airlines that had been loyal to the company for fifty-two years. It's just really unexplainable. And you're right, there was no due process. In fact, we tried to uh, contact corporate security, and there was no way that what they could be reached. We wow. talked to several people in mm. customer relations, and they said the case was closed. But um, there is some progress being made, and it looks like um, maybe they'll reverse the decision now, and we're just going to hope in the next couple of days we will have an opportunity to have all of this resolved, and we can get on with our ministry and continue to travel. You know, American Airlines is based in Dallas, so okay. it really is the ideal carrier for yes. me to travel all over the world. So we're hoping that it all gets resolved. Wow, that's amazing. It really is amazing. A horrible customer service or customer relations not even giving you an, an, a, an, a voice, or not a voice, but giving um, ear to your story and, and allowing you to share and, and, and trying to get to the bottom of what happened. That's just amazing. Um, anyway, Mike, I guess in this day and age, it shouldn't be amazing. Um, let's go on now uh, to what we were talking about in an email exchange before we got on the podcast um, yesterday. One of the things that's happening, and last time we had you on, we were talking about converging events in the world and, and prophetic events and what's happening. And boy, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of things going on that we never thought we'd see maybe in our lifetimes. One of those things would be persecution. Well, it starts off soft. We in America have kind of been, we've been very blessed here. Um, the early church father, uh, Tertullian, famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But Americans really can't relate to that because we've rarely faced uh, much persecution at all um, compared to other countries, uh, Africa, um, Middle East, and other places. But so we are very unique. America is the anomaly in world history. And unfortunately, what that has done to many believers in America, and I'd love for you to speak to this, many have been kind of lulled to sleep uh, when it comes to the sufferings that Christ says are expected of his followers. Please share a little bit about that. Well, it really is. We're living in very uh, interesting times. I have never seen such a rapid decline and everything our country has stood for for so many years, all in four months' time. So it really is unexpected, the rate of everything that's happening, the speed. 
but never in our lifetime have we witnessed such widespread deception, Mm -hmm. nor have we seen so much fraud or hypocrisy. It's really amazing to see our government uh, and the liberal media really covering for our government and actually being um, a protagonist with our government to spread the lies of uh, our government people. They're so corrupt right now and and so what do Christians do when they're losing their freedoms to a government that's so tyrannical? Well, we have to do what's, uh, what we're called to do, and that is to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And we need to act worthy of the calling that we've been given, and mm-hmm. we need to continue to proclaim the gospel because... The best way to make an enemy of God a friend is to have them converted through the proclamation of the gospel. But it's really amazing to see the constant fear-mongering of the leftist media. It's really made the majority of Americans willing to submit to the government for their protection. And um, so much of it goes against science, as we're seeing today. And there's so much politics involved and cancel culture. And I know that you've been involved in that as well. So Mm -hmm. it's really disheartening to see. But at the same time, um, you know, Christians in past history have had to deal with a lot more than we're having to deal with right now. And it may be a point in our lifetime where we'll have to shed blood in order to stand for the truth of the gospel, but we do have um, heroes of the faith that we have seen do that over the years, especially in the first 300 years of the Church and then even during the Reformation period. Mm. And uh, you're right, a lot of people are experiencing what we didn't think we'd experience here in America, ministry leaders. A lot of our guests to this podcast, whether um, you know they've been having pages deleted or uh, I've issues with YouTube, issues with Facebook. Uh, one of our guests had his Facebook page taken down. Another guest was given a final warning when he has preached. I don't know how many sermons, and they were all up on YouTube. And they gave they had like a couple strikes against them. They said one more, and we're going to take down your account. So he had to move everything over to Rumble. And and you know, another guest, and it goes on and on. It's it's not surprising, but it sure is disappointing because of our Constitution and the freedoms we have. Uh, but Mike, something you said earlier, um, when we, uh, before we got on the air, I love this quote. You said, there are two reasons God keeps us here, to populate the earth and to populate heaven. Um, I know that's your focus, and that's what I think more of us need to be remember. I mean, we get so distracted with so many things, we forget our commission, our mission, right? Well, yeah, David, just to expound on that, you know, ideally it would be nice if the moment we were born again, God would take us to heaven, (laughs) but instead he leaves us here to fulfill the Great Commission. When the Lord Jesus came, he came to seek and to save the lost, and then when he ascended into heaven in Acts 1, he gave the baton to the church, and he said, now you go and seek after those who will never seek after me, and so every Christian needs to be aware that that's a privilege and an awesome responsibility to be an ambassador to the King of Kings and to take his message, not only in our circle of influence, but even throughout the world whenever we have that opportunity. And so, as I mentioned before the broadcast, uh, some of us are too old to populate the earth anymore, <laughs> and so that gives us more time to populate heaven by Amen. proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Amen. Amen. And it's it's really interesting um, 
people, I think, what, from some of the research we've seen, whether it be Barna or Pew or others, it seems like because of what America and the world really has gone through in the last two years, maybe even the years leading up to um, the coronavirus, um, it seems like people are more open to talk about spiritual things. I mean, helplines. There was a time last year where calls to suicide helplines were up 600%, if I remember correctly. People were looking for hope. People are looking for answers. Not everybody is. Some have rejected the gospel flat out, but there are some people that are looking for some sort of answer, some sort of spirituality or some way to deal with everything that we're dealing with here in the world today. So, Mike, we've got uh, about three and a half minutes before we have to take a break. Please uh, share with us your thoughts about how people are looking for answers and we need to maybe be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to help those who might be searching. Yeah, that's a good question, and um, there really is an opportune time for us to give the gospel. And what I like to say is we need to be spiritual doctors. You know, we need to let people know that, yes, there is a virus that's out there that's killed thousands of people, but there's a more deadly virus, and that's inherited at the time of conception. Everyone is born with a sin disease that is fatal, Mm. and the only way that you can be cured of this disease is to take the one and only cure, and that's the precious blood of Jesus, to put your trust in Him and His shed blood. And, you know, the the cure for this sin disease is available free for the asking because of a love story written in blood on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. And so as, as uh, spiritual physicians, we need to give people their true diagnosis. Yes. There is a more deadly disease than the coronavirus. It's called sin. And... Everyone who has it will die unless they take the cure. And, of course, the Bible speaks of three kinds of death, physical death, spiritual death, and then eternal death. And so the cure will save you from spiritual death and eternal death. And we need to proclaim that to those who are now so fearful of dying of a different disease that only kills, what, 2 or 3% of the population at most. So... This is a great opportunity, as you said, David, to make the gospel known to those who are helpless and hopeless about what to do in this current crisis. Amen. Some of the, I think, the theme, one of the themes for this week, I think, has been Christians needing to have that sense of urgency. And uh, I'm preaching to the choir. I'm talking even to myself here. I'm going, I need to have that sense of urgency uh, as well when I see people who do not know the Lord, people that are lost. And I love the way you put that. Mike, that, that there is a more serious virus, and that would be sin that has eternal consequences. So um, we're going to talk, when after the break, uh, you have a really good article on your website, proclaimingthegospel.org, um, an article really on apostasy. And uh, we need to talk a little bit about that because what we're seeing, unfortunately, is a watering down of the gospel message in American churches. And as a result, there are false converts. I had a conversation recently about someone who believes, uh, you know, the Christian left is not an oxymoron. They actually exist, exist. And well, we had a debate about that and what that means. And I said, we better start defining our terms like Christianity. Who is truly saved? What does it mean to be saved and converted and born again? So our guest today is Mike Gendron. When we're going to come back, uh, we're going to talk about one of the biggest threats to the church today. Also, we will talk about apostasy, and we will link that article 
in today's podcast notes at standupforthetruth.com. So much more straight ahead on Q90. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Mike Gendron, proclaiming the gospel ministries. Before we jump into apostasy and really kind of define, um, are there true converts? Are there false converts? Is there such a thing? Mike, what do you think one of the biggest threats to the church today might be would it be apathy social justice biblical illiteracy false teachers um or maybe attack on the exclusivity of the gospel what do you think yeah i really believe the greatest attack on the christian faith today is an attack on the exclusivity and the purity of the gospel you know when you look at satanic attacks against the christian faith i actually came up with eight of them and it's really interesting to see all of these things taking place in the 21st century church. There's an attack on the supremacy of God's Word. We know of, uh, quote-unquote, Christian organizations or even um, the Roman Catholic Church that would elevate their traditions and their bishops to be equal or superior as opposed to the Word of God. And then we also see an attack on the sufficiency of God's Son, uh, so many people deny that you're saved by grace. They think they have to merit their way to heaven. We see an attack on the singularity of God's gospel. We see uh, different gospels being proclaimed, many of which have stripped the offense of the gospel away. Mm-hmm. We also see an attack on the sovereignty of God's grace. There are um, Roman Catholic bishops and priests who believe that they can sovereignly bring to life those who are dead in their sins through the efficacious waters of baptism. We see an attack on the security of God's children. David, over half of professing Christianity denies that denies the promise of the gospel, that yes. you have eternal, everlasting life. And we also see an attack on the severity of God's punishment. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church says that you go to a place called purgatory for your sins instead of suffering in the fires of eternal hell. And we see an attack on the the significance of God's creation. You know, evolution now is um, mainstream within many of our churches today. And ultimately, we see an attack on the sanctity of God's church. And that's where the ecumenical movement comes in. We're seeing unity among unbelievers, apostates, and evangelicals. And unfortunately, many of our most well-known and most influential evangelical leaders are promoting this ecumenical unity with the Roman Catholic Church. And the most recent accord was the Manhattan Declaration in 2009. Mm -hmm. But over 600,000 evangelicals have now signed on, daring to say that we share a common faith in the gospel with Roman Catholics. Wow. And I know I even heard, um, uh, I mean, Pope Francis several times uh, had said something along the lines of uh, Muslims being our brothers. Do I remember that right? Well, yeah. In fact, um, I did a message in Green Bay on the convergence of Islam and Roman Catholicism. Wow. And I gave ten common bonds between those two religions. And in the end, you see that Roman Catholicism has more in common with Islam than it does with biblical Christianity. And so that was a message that really caused a lot of people to 
drop their jaws in unbelief that there would be that much common bonds. And, and we know in the end there will be a global religion, a global um, government, and a global economy. And so I believe that when Roman Catholicism and Islam come together, that will represent 40% of the world's population, and I think the other religions will follow suit forming this global church that will one day worship the Antichrist. Mike, is that message available on video or online where people can see that? Well, it is uh, available on our website in written form, but it will soon be available on a DVD. Probably in the middle of June we'll have it on DVD. But the text is on your website, you said, correct? Right, the outline. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before we talk about false converts and two streams of Christianity, which I really like the way you laid out this article, and I definitely want to get to um, the the step-by-step drift into apostasy, I really appreciate the way you laid that out. And then finally, a comparison between born-again Christians and apostates. Um, someone said recently, it, defending the Christian left or liberal Christianity, whatever you want to say it, um, they said a Christian is simply one who accepts the salvation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They said that's the true definition. And... Um, they said people like to make other definitions or or put whatever they want into being a good Christian, but that's not what it means. So they were really responding to something on social media that said there was a Christian left that doesn't abide by many of the principles found in Scripture. And so how would you respond to someone who would just basically say, all it takes is just accepting the salvation of Jesus, Lord and Savior, and then apparently they're justifying living whatever life or believing whatever philosophies you want to believe. Yeah, there's uh, really a compromise of the gospel within Christianity today. And one of the problems is people have taken out three of the necessary ingredients of the gospel, and they all start with an R. Uh, There's no call for repentance in many of our Bible churches today, and Mm -hmm. so... As you say, people can quote-unquote accept Jesus, which is not in the Bible, exactly, and be a Christian. Well, the Bible says you must have faith, you must believe on the Lord Jesus, you must trust in Him, and you also must repent. Change your mind about the false way you used to believe and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's no repentance in many churches. There's also very little mention of righteousness that is required for entrance into heaven. God is a righteous God, and he requires perfect righteousness for entrance into heaven. And so often we hear people say, I hope I'm good enough. These are professing Christians. Well, they don't know that God's righteousness requires perfection. And we see that in Romans 10, where Paul prayed for the salvation of the Israelites. They had a zeal for God, but it wasn't based on knowledge. Mm. And so they sought to obtain their own righteousness, not knowing the righteousness of God. And there are many Christians and Catholics today that think they can get to heaven on their own righteousness. And I think a great example of how impossible this is, is the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 3, he had every reason to boast in his own righteousness, but he understood the righteousness of God, and he considered his righteousness dung, and he exchanged his religion for a relationship with Christ. And so that's what needs to be done today, a call for 
people to repent of their filthy rags of righteousness and trust in the righteousness of Christ, which is given as a gift to those who believe. Mm -hmm. And then the third R that's often left out is the resurrection of Christ. Um, I've seen gospel tracts. You know, we really believe in literature evangelism, but there unfortunately have been many gospel tracts that say all you have to do is that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus died for you. And there's no mention of the resurrection. And, of course, Paul said, without the resurrection, your faith is worthless. So there's a lot of false Christians that have done none of those three R's, and so they believe they're Christians, but one day they will hear the most terrifying words they could ever hear when Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you, and they're cast into the eternal lake of fire. So we really need to get the gospel right and make sure people are evangelizing biblically and not man's way. You are so right. I don't remember um, recently hearing the word repentance um, in in a lot of teachings uh, coming out of a lot of churches, and it, it's just really kind of astounding because that's one of the the basic principles. That's I mean, didn't they say uh, wasn't it Jesus and John the Baptist that was a big part of their message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, both of them, wouldn't that be a good example for us? But Mike Jenner, you said something about assurance or alluded to the fact that we have assurance. I was speaking with another Texas brother, Elijah Abraham, uh, earlier this week, a former Muslim, and he's, we were talking about Islam, and they do not have, Muslims don't, assurance that they will be in heaven, where they refer to it as paradise. They don't have assurance what about the Roman Catholic Church? Uh, there seems to be, there seem to be a lot of Catholics that I've spoken to throughout the years that don't really know if they're saved or going to heaven. They believe in their traditions and, and their religion, but they don't have the assurance, some of them, not putting all of them under the same uh, blanket. But would you share about assurance and the Catholic Church from your experience? Well, sure. Every religion outside of biblical Christianity teaches that you must do things in order to appease a holy God, and you must do things in order to obtain eternal life. And so whenever you're trusting what you're doing for eternal life, you can never have assurance. But when you place your trust in Christ, who has done everything necessary to save sinners completely and forever, then you have assurance because it's based on the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ and nothing that you do. And so, David, I hope your listeners recognize that Roman Catholicism is no different from any other religion that teaches a works righteousness salvation. Catholics must repent of that error and put their trust in Christ alone. You know, the Catholic Church goes so far as to say that you are sinning if you believe you have assurance. It's called the sin of presumption. And this is really mind-boggling to me because it basically is saying that if you believe the promises of God, then you're committing a sin. Mm. Because the promise of God is eternal life. It's not conditional life. The promise of the gospel is everlasting life. And we see that in 1 John 5.13. John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can know right here and now that you have in your possession eternal everlasting life. And the way you know is by reading the first four chapters of First John. That's what John has written so that you may know. But it's all based on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you're trusting him alone, then you can have assurance. If you're trusting Christ plus anything else, 
there can be no assurance. Amen. Uh, we don't need to add anything else to Christ. Um, Mike, back to the article on apostasy now. I love what this says about apostates who the Bible says they went out from us because they were not really of us. Now, it's speaking about people who either were in the church or began within the church, within the body of believers, and they went out from us, but it says clearly they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So how does someone stay in a church or in the Christian faith and they're not really of the true believers? In other words, are they not really saved? Are they false converts? Can you explain that for us? Well, sure. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the mark of a true Christian, one who has been born of the Spirit of God. And we see in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen that we are baptized by one spirit into one body, and that body is the church of Jesus Christ. Everybody who's been born again belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. And those who have not been born again but who profess Christ need to repent and believe the gospel in order to be born again. And so that's why you have born-again Christians versus false converts. False converts are those who have never been born again, but they call themselves Christians because they believed a compromised gospel or they've been evangelized with unbiblical methods. Hmm. And so when you look at 1 John 2.19, John writes, they went out from us because they were really not part of us. Another way he could have said that would have been, They went out from us because they were never born again. Had they been born again, they would have remained with us. Mm. And so that's the mark of an apostate, one who hangs out with other born-again Christians, but then because of the troubles of the world or whatever, they fall away. And it's it's interesting. Um, even they dealt with this in the early church, and you would think then, with the the apostles having lived with the Jesus, the Lord Jesus walked with him, saw his miracles, heard his teaching, and they passed down the true gospel and the true faith. And then Paul's letters uh, started being. It's amazing that people would still be. How did it explain it? They went they went out from us, meaning they left the church. They departed. And isn't that uh, one of the words in the definition of apostasy, a departure from the faith? Yeah, and Judas is a classic example. He walked with Christ for three years. He heard his teachings. Judas, yes. He participated in many of the miracles that Jesus did. And so in the end, he departed not only from Jesus, but he departed from the apostolic faith. And so he's a classic example Mm. of an apostate, one who has the head knowledge, but it's never reached the heart. never born again, and so he departed. So uh, we have many apostates down through the years. In fact, you know, I'd like to share this with you, David, and your audience, but the Roman Catholic Church says they trace their history back to Matthew sixteen eighteen, yes, where Jesus built the church. And that's true. They could trace their history back to that, but what they don't realize in fact, I haven't really talked to any Catholics that understand what the word apostasy means or what an apostate is. But if you look at church history, you see that in the 4th century, Constantine uh, had this vision, and he started making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
And that was supposed to be the glue that was going to seal a fragmented Roman Empire back together. And so he allowed pagans to come into the church without any repentance or faith, just going through the baptismal font, and that made them a Christian. And so many of the pagan practices that crept into this 4th century church uh, are still practiced by the Roman Catholic Church today. So in the 4th century, you see the genesis of the Roman Catholic religion departing from the faith of the apostles to follow pagan traditions and pagan practices. And so we need to inform Roman Catholics that there are two streams of Christianity. Those who departed from the apostolic faith are no longer Christians, they're apostates. And if you look at the Roman Catholic teachings today, they do not line up with the first century church. And so by the authority of Scripture, we can call the Roman Catholic Church apostate. And at the Council of Trent, they officially and dogmatically departed from the apostolic faith to the tune of condemning with over 100 anathemas those who believe the apostolic faith. Mm. And so there was an official departure, a dogmatic departure in the 16th century. Yes. Um, Mike, we don't have time. I, I do want to ask you a question. We've only got about a minute and a half before we have to take a break. Um, well, maybe you can do it in a minute and a half. The, the, the apostles handed down the faith, and we hear a lot about the apostolic church, and some people that grew up Catholic kind of connect that phraseology to Catholicism, but that's not really true because the apostles did hand down the true gospel. And, and could you clarify that? Well, sure. Uh, there are traditions mentioned in the New Testament but each time traditions are mentioned in a positive way, it's always uh, the source was an apostle, and it was always in the past tense. In other words, they were already delivered. And so the Roman Catholic Church has added so many ungodly traditions down through the centuries. And so Jude, in his epistle, verse 3, he said that we are to earnestly contend for the faith mm -hmm. that was once and for all delivered, past tense, to the saints. And so this body of truth that the first century apostles believed and preached, that is the faith that we are to contend for. Amen. Anything that's added to that must be contended against. Amen. Thank you. That was well done. Uh, we have to take another break, but when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about some of the causes of apostasy. And we are also going to talk about the step-by-step -step drift. How does it happen, and how can we avoid it, and how can we discern when we're seeing that, maybe within our own churches? More with Mike Gendron when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Mike Jenron has a really good article. I have many, many of them on his website, ProclaimingTheGospel.org. But this one is on apostasy, in which we're, we're talking about that today. Um, he talks about a step-by-step -step drift into apostasy. How does that happen? And it starts with rejecting God's word as the supreme authority for faith and patience. Please share these steps, Mike. Yeah, for faith and practice. Yeah, and that's really, if you look at the uh, classic example of apostasy, it's the Roman Catholic Church. They rejected the supreme authority of God's word, and they elevated their tradition and the infallible teachings of their popes and bishops to the same level as the authority of God's Word. Mm. And so that's the first step. When you no longer submit to the authority of God's Word, then you drift away from it. 
And you also talk about uh, being uh, double-minded. Um, you say the um, double-mindedness causes confusion and divided loyalties. Can you be double-minded and not be an apostate? Um, could you clarify that, what you mean by that? Well, James deals with that, a double-minded man in his epistle, but it really means that uh, you're submitting to two different authorities, and uh, we know that a Christian submits to only one authority, and that is Christ and His Word. So that's what causes confusions when you have the Word of God saying one thing and Catholic traditions and teachings saying another, so mm. people do have divided loyalties. And so step two you have as uh, Scripture is twisted and distorted. Now, we understand what that means, but you add to that by explaining Scripture is twisted and distorted for power, control, and riches. And it's not just the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican, uh, but it's we see that in the massive church growth movement in America in the what some would call the emergent church. So please elaborate on step two of drifting into apostasy, the twisting of Scripture. Well, ultimately, that's the goal of every religion, is to control its people. And so when you trust in Christ and His Word, you are set free from any religious control. We see that in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. But uh, Peter warned us uh, of those who would twist and distort Scripture, it'd be to their own destruction. But that's what happens in step two. And, you know, we're living in a postmodern era now, so we see apostasy really gaining steam because truth is now relative, it's subjective, and it's no longer the objective truth of God's Word in many churches. So that's step two. Doctrinal error and sin are tolerated. We see that in many of the seeker-friendly churches today. There's no church discipline. Um, Doctrinal error can creep in, and people are not willing to contend against it. And so there's a lot of apathy in step two. Worldliness and ungodly influences are now present. We see that in the music of many seeker-friendly churches. They brought the world in through the music. Mm. And so that's step two. And, um, you know, apostasy doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual erosion of God's truth and God's authority. Yes. Hey, Mike, I want to follow up on something uh, you said here. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead, actually, so this is perfect. I was going ahead to step three. Um, you say Bible teaching is replaced by stories and myths. You mentioned doctrinal error is embraced, but stories. Um, are you talking about stories that are given as um, used in sermons, a lot of uh, topical sermons, uh, some pastors use a lot of stories, like what happened to them personally, how they can relate to God's Word. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, very few churches today will preach the um, whole counsel of God. Uh, some you know, deviate from preaching verse by verse, book by book. They go into topical studies, and then the next thing you know, they're replacing the Word of God by stories and myths and you know, I really believe um, that pastors need to spend 90-95% of their message in the Word of God and teaching Scripture, but I think it's the other way around now. A lot of pastors are spending 95% of their time telling stories and even including myths instead of faithfully preaching the Word of God verse by verse and book by book. And uh, then you say in step four... Uh, Jesus Christ and his gospel are 
totally rejected. So it wasn't, it didn't start off, well, I guess in step one, God's word is rejected as supreme authority, but then you say Jesus and his gospel are totally rejected. Um, it's, it's sad, but people do get to that point in step four in apostasy. Yeah, in fact, you know, you look at the seven churches in Revelation, and they were not only literal churches in the first century, but they also give us a view of the epic of time. And many would say that we're in the Laodicean church right now, the last church, and Jesus is outside the door knocking to see if he can come back in because he's been rejected, he's been replaced by worldly entertainment and... Um, it's just sad to see, but uh, clearly, step four, um, the fingerprints are all over the Roman Catholic Church because they have rejected the sufficiency and the lordship of Jesus Christ. They've rejected his headship over the church, and they've also rejected his gospel, his gospel and they've replaced his gospel with a gospel that's under divine condemnation, as we see in Galatians 1, 6-9. They've added requirements to it, so the gospel of grace is completely rejected by the Roman Catholic Church. And, of course, um, there are Protestant denominations that have gone apostate as well. They're no longer teaching a gospel of grace, but a gospel of works righteousness. So we're in that period of time where the Bible tells us that there will, the end times will be marked by a great apostasy, and ultimately the... the um, climax of this growth in apostasy will take place at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes into the Holy of Holies declaring himself to be God, and that will be the climax of this growing apostasy that we are seeing within our churches today. And we have this article linked on apostasy and by Mike Jenrin at ProclaimingTheGospel.org. Um, you say biblical history confirms, and we know that, most of us who have been in the Word of God for any amount of time, understand there have always been apostate churches. And let's talk about individuals now and wrap this up, Mike. We've got about six minutes left. Um, Born-again Christians versus apostates. You have them under the category two streams of Christianity. So well, just take us wherever you want to go here. There's a lot of bullet points that you share in the article. Well, sure. Uh, many people don't realize that we've had two streams of Christianity operating side by side for 2,000 years. Mm. We have the apostolic church that is made up of born-again Christians, and Christ is the master builder and the head. He is the founder of that church. But we also see the apostate church that started in the first century, as we already noted in First John. They went out from us because they were never part of us. And Paul says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith and follow doctrines of demons, and we see that happening today, too. He even identifies one of the doctrines of demons as forbidding people to marry, which, once again, is a characteristic of the Roman Catholic Church, that they are an apostate church. And so these two streams have been operating side by side, and um, ultimately, the uh, apostolic church is made up of those who have been born again. The apostate church is made up of false converts, those who think they're Christians, but they have never repented and believed the gospel. If you look at the warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 7, he talks about many will call him Lord, but in the end they will be boasting in what they have done 
rather than what Christ has done, his finished work. So they're in a works righteousness salvation. And they also failed to depart from iniquity, so there was no repentance. And so that's the mark of false converts. They trust in what they're doing, and there's no repentance from sin. So uh, could you clarify one thing? Under the uh, born-again Christians, you have one of the bullet points as uh, children of God called out of the world and, uh, of course, enrolled in heaven. Um, Not everybody. We have this expression. We hear this all the time, Mike, that uh, everybody is a child of God, right? The whole world, we're all children of God. That's not scripturally accurate. We are made in his image created by God, every human being is, but not every person is a child of God. Would you please elaborate on that point? Well, sure. Only born-again Christians are children of God. And we see that in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, that we are born of God by faith. And we also see that um, Jesus talked about the apostate Jews as being children of the devil, who is their father. And so clearly... Uh, You have children of God and children of the devil. And then we also see John in his epistle talking about uh, those who are born of God practice righteousness, and those who are born of the devil or whose father is the devil, they practice unrighteousness. So clearly there's a distinction in Scripture. Not everybody is a child of God. In fact, the only way that you can um, become a child of God is being born again by faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, under apostates, uh, Mike, your last point, and this is what we were talking about earlier when we were trying to really define true converts versus false converts and people that in our context in America associate with the, quote, Christian left or a liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity. You say they profess to know God, but deny him by their deeds, Titus 1, verse 16. We see a lot of that, and I don't know why people have such an issue with trying to discern fruit. Didn't Jesus say you will know them by their fruits? Isn't that principle something we can apply today in discerning people's fruit? Well, that's true. That's what Jesus said. And we have to recognize that faith is the root, and our good works are the fruit. So if your root is alive, if you have living faith, there will always be fruit that is being produced. But then James said, if your root is dead, there will be no fruit. Mm. And so we have a lot of um, false converts that have dead roots. There's no uh, fruit because the root is dead. And then we also see that those who are false converts continue in their sinful deeds, and so they bring shame to the name of Christ. We need to call them out, and um, that's where church discipline comes in. Yes. We don't see that too often in many of the seeker-friendly churches, and so people can come in and feel comfortable, have their ears tickled, and they are given sermons to make them happy instead of holy, and they feel quite secure and quite comfortable in these seeker-friendly churches, but we need to reach them with the gospel. Eighty-six percent of Americans claim to be Christians, but we know that that number is so high and probably the number of born-again Christians might be more in the 10 to 15% range. No one really knows, only God knows the heart. Yes. But clearly 86% is not the true figure. Only God knows the heart. And you're right about church discipline. I also think of uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, 
All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching. Most believers have heard that or are familiar with that. But the second part we are unfamiliar with, that the Scripture is also used for rebuking, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Boy, we have a lack of emphasis on that today, don't we? Well, we really do. But then again, that's where church discipline comes in. You know, it's a great opportunity to discipline people who profess to be Christ and start off with giving them the gospel. Maybe they're a false convert, and we've seen church discipline take place where people recognize they were lost and they were struggling with their sin. And so by presenting the gospel through repentance and faith, they became born again, and then they had the power over sin to live a victorious life. So Mm. that's why it's such an important part of our churches today. Mike Jenren, Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries, thank you for your clear voice of truth and for standing for the gospel. And uh, just, again, for all the work that you do, Proclaiming the Gospel, I will link up to everything in today's podcast. We'll talk to you again, Lord willing, in the near future. God bless you, Mike. Well, thank you for having me, and keep standing for the truth, David. Amen. Lord willing, we will do so. When we come back, we'll let you know who our guests are next week on the podcast. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be persecuted for your faith in Christ? I'm Todd Nettleton. I hope you'll join me Saturday mornings at 8.30 as we hear from Christians who have faced persecution. Their faith inspires us to serve Christ more fully, and we'll learn how we can pray specifically for our persecuted family. Join me Saturday mornings at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Q90FM and Q90FM.com. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. So the Miracle Man appeared in our studio yesterday. I came by. uh, I wasn't here, but there was a picture we put on the Stand Up For The Truth Facebook page of Travis, the uh, Stand Up For The Truth producer. As you know, he was in an induced coma for two weeks. We're referring to him affectionately as the Miracle Man because God is truly doing a miracle um, from being at death's door to getting to a doctor's appointment, being able to walk in here uh, is just amazing. So keep praying for Travis and, of course, his mom, uh, Melissa, who is caring for him right now, but he's getting better, and uh, praise God for that. So uh, tomorrow we're going to talk more, a little bit about how the church can respond to the cancel culture. How did our churches turn into leftist political front groups? And an update on my book. I'm so blessed and encouraged uh, by the response of you for helping me get the word out about canceling Christianity due to uh, having been censored on Facebook and others. So we'll update you on that tomorrow as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.